everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Crushing It in Construction podcast. My name is Jordan Skinner. I am your host, and this week I am chatting with Phil Chapman, Managing Director of CMW Geosciences. Now, CMW spread across Australia and New Zealand with over 200 people, and I thought it would be good to chat with Phil because they've recently added a people and culture person to their staff, and they're seeing some really great results. On this episode, Phil and I talk about why they decided to hire a people and culture person, some of the things that they've been implementing, uh, and we also talk about whether hiring for this people and culture position actually makes sense for everybody or just some businesses. So let's get into the show. G'day, Phil. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Jordan. Good to be here. Yeah. So for everybody that doesn't know you yet, could you just tell us um, who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so my name's Phil Chapman. I'm Managing Director of CMW Geosciences, uh, and we are specialist geotechnical engineers that operate uh, in New Zealand and Australia. Okay, cool. So tell us a little bit about CMW. How did the business get started? Where have you grown to today? Just just give us a bit of a background on the company. Yeah, so um, we established the business back in uh, 2012. Um, now we've got 10 office locations, as I say, in, in two con- countries, and we operate in 10 different time zones and have about 210 staff now. Um, so we've had fairly rapid growth over, a, I guess, a reasonably short period of time. In terms of what we, we do, we service clients in the construction, renewables, mining, civil engineering spaces. And the type of work that we do, there's probably, you could look at it like three three pillars, um, site investigation, uh, geotechnical analysis and design as another pillar, and construction phase services. So the full delivery of a project, um, you know, we tend to get involved from, from start and, and hopefully see it through to construction. Yeah, cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the industry? Did you have family in the industry or was it just something that you wanted to get into as a kid? Yeah, look, a strange beginning for me. Um, I went to university and in my first year I studied uh, biology and psychology <laughs> and okay. I, and that was just an interest. It wasn't, it wasn't a career choice. It was just to, to go there and, and do that. And then I discovered soil science and transferred my second year into a, a Bachelor of Science degree, uh, completed that, went on and did a master's degree and my specialization there was in landsliding. And that, that introduced me to a company, which was actually the, the company that employed me once I graduated. Um, and I moved to, to Auckland in New Zealand, worked with this a small geotechnical engineering firm and predominantly worked in, in land development and landslide remediation. So it was, a great, it was a great start to my career. Over time, though, I, I, I sort of got a little frustrated that I couldn't design. I was more a, a geologist than a you know than the engineer, if you like. So I started another master's degree uh, in Sydney at uh, University of New South Wales and completed that while I was working full-time, uh, went on and got chartered as an engineer. And I guess at that stage, I was also running running businesses too. So fairly busy time early on to, you know, to get up to speed and to where I wanted to be in the industry. So what businesses were you running at that point? Yeah, so it was just a it was an extension it was it was growth of the of the existing business to another region and I ran <laughs> that region. So there was just two of us to start with, built the office up to 12 and then that business was acquired by a bigger business and I had the opportunity to move to to Perth to run the Western Australian 
uh, geotech business, which was a much larger, much larger consultancy. And that was a great experience as well. How did you eventually come to starting your own company? It sounds like you had a bit of experience before you did it, which is good, but you've got to be a glutton for punishment if you're going into running your own business. So what was it that made you decide that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think very early on, my mentors were entrepreneurial. So they were, they were very good engineers, but they were also very entrepreneurial and that rubbed off on me. And I, I always had this, this desire to, to build my own thing. I didn't know when and I didn't know how, um, but when it's, when it's there, it's, you can't sort of let it go. Uh, so I got to a point, um, you know, working in this, in this corporate world where I thought, look, I can, I can do my own thing. And I, we didn't have massive aspirations at the beginning. We never sat down and said, let's be, you know, 200 people across two countries. It was really just, let's start a consultancy in Perth, you know, almost like a mum and dad business, a small niche operation. And, and it just grew from there. But I think that having entrepreneurial people around you and listening to them talk and how they interact, those, those types of influences they rub off on you and I guess I found that more engaging than designing retaining walls and and foundations um so did you have any entrepreneurial influences in your family as well no not really no I'm not too sure where it's come from I grew up in a farming community in New Zealand so maybe I mean farmers are fairly entrepreneurial people like you know you've got to fix stuff and do stuff on the fly maybe a little bit of that rubbed off on me but um yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you and I were, were chatting a few weeks ago, you mentioned that, you know, if you had your time again, you'd probably grow things a bit slower. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you mean around that? Yeah, I, I think um, growth is good. I mean, growth is exciting, but it also brings, it brings a few challenges. So systems start to bulge at the, at the sides and you spend a lot of time catching up. So when you're in catch-up mode, you're not in plan mode, and I'd much rather be in plan mode. So it's just, it's if you have a slower measured approach, not that it was completely frantic, but just looking back and you think, well, you know, if we hadn't have opened up that other office at that time, then maybe we could have consolidated where we were a little bit more. Or So there's always those sorts of questions. I mean, it's all turned out very well, and we continue to do very well, but... Uh, yeah, I think just making sure that you've got systems in place, you've got people in place, because ultimately what you want to do is not ta- change your culture, right? That's the, the big thing about growth is you, you're getting all these influences. And when you're in one location and you grow geographically, trying to control that culture in another region is, is really difficult. So you've got to really lay some fairly solid foundations at each of those locations so that when people come in, there's an expectation of how you are as a, as a CMW person. And that's, that's the hard part. Yeah. What were some of the, the, the big hurdles or obstacles that you faced because you were grown so fast? Was it just mainly around the systems side of things or were there, there other things that you were noticing that were, you maybe didn't go as smoothly as possible? Yeah. I think you find that you you become inefficient if that, that makes sense. So when you grow quickly, you end up being a master of everything at that location. And, and it sort of detracts from what you're there for, to be an engineer, to respond to your clients, to, you know, to make good decisions, to get, get things done. But if you don't, say, for example, if you don't have enough admin around you, then you spend a lot of time doing project management tasks that would otherwise be done by somebody else. So 
it's just trying to get that whole project delivery thing sorted if you like it's just it, that's the you know the the essence of being a consultant you win the work you deliver the work you collect the check and and in our business we try and get our guys and girls to do all that stuff and teach them how to do it but you just need that support and infrastructure around them to enable them to do it if you like so growth can you know if it's not measured um you know can eat into that I mean, when you chat to somebody and you say to them, you know, everybody should grow slow, nine times out of 10, people go, yeah, 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 that makes sense. But everybody you speak to at some point has bitten off more than they can chew and chewed like hell and hoped that it worked out. Why do you think, why do you think people get caught up in that and, and grow yeah. too quick? Mm, it's the opportunity, right? So opportunities for people and locations or projects don't come up all the time. So it's about taking your opportunities when you can. And then, you know, I, I, I think I would probably do that. Uh, you know, if you put an opportunity in front of me, I'd probably take it. It's that entrepreneurial thing, right? Mm. Provided it fit into to, to the vision and what you wanted to do. But yeah, I think in this world, you've got to just take your opportunities. It's as simple as that. The head says one thing and the heart says another. One of the other things that you mentioned to me a few weeks ago as well is that you recently hired a people and culture person for the company tell us a little bit more about that why why did you feel that that was something you needed to do yeah i think the covid experience for our business was tough and i'm sure it was for obviously for for many but for our staff a lot of our staff come from we've got family overseas or so with with these tough border restrictions that we've worked with has meant that our people haven't been uh, as social i guess with their families or friends or or whatever as they normally enjoy and we found that that was quite it was quite tough on our team, um, and particularly our Victorian team. You know, they were locked down for a long, long time. So, we looked at that to think, how can we, how can we get around our people a little bit more? At a local level, our office managers did a did a great job uh, to manage the businesses through COVID. We did really well through that period in terms of, you know, the business, but the uh, casualties were the people really. So, we looked at people and culture and thought, well. How's this all going to look? How's it going to work? And essentially, it's it's somebody that just looks after your people in whatever form or shape that that may take. So as managers, we're all about winning, delivering, collecting the check kind of thing. You, you often don't have time just to check in with people, and it's really important to check in and and to make sure that you know that we spend so much time at work and. It, when we first set up the business, we were really conscious not to be too big at any one location. So we wanted to keep that mum and dad feel so that we knew the husbands and the wives and the girlfriends and the boyfriends and you'd have barbecues and all that sort of stuff. So you knew what people are up to or what they're into. Once you start this spread, and particularly for me now, you know, I'm, I'm heading to New Zealand on Sunday and um, I reckon there'd be half the staff there I haven't met before. Oh, okay. It's great for me to do that, but you just lose that connection and you can only do so much on teams. It's this, you know, face to face and sitting down, having a coffee and a chat about where they're at and what they're doing and, and all that yeah. sort of stuff makes a massive difference. So, so this people and culture person is really filling that gap. So what kind of things are they doing? It's fairly basic. It's just conversations. So it's just talking to people about how they are, what they're doing. Um, there's a lot of projects been rolled out already she's this person's only fairly new in the business but we've already talked about initiatives that we want to try and achieve 
and there's training going on with our managers, checking in with the staff, it's all that sort of stuff. And then out of that comes opportunities. So what are our opportunities for improvement? And and that's brought to a board level and that's what we're talking about now is how we how we want to implement different things. So So from these conversations that she's having, like I can appreciate she's only a new role, but is there anything that's come out mm. of these conversations that's really surprised you and the other board members? Yeah, look, I think the casualties through COVID was quite surprising. So a lot of that's come to the surface. You know, it's like I haven't been to see mum for two years and, you know, this and that and da da da. And it's kind of, yeah, it is, it has been fairly debilitating on people. Yeah. And I suppose when you head down, bum up, like you said, focusing on the business, you know, everybody has their own problems they're kind of dealing with. So it's easy to yep. pass over staff having their own issues. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is about the cultural alignment as well. So, as a manager, you've got to spend so much time with your people. We're a people business. That's our whole foundation. That's why we exist, because of our people. And they're often left, you know, and they shouldn't be. They need to be brought to the forefront and looked after. And that's what um, this person's trying to do. Yeah. So, I mean, are you able to enlighten us into some of the different programs you're starting just to give people a bit of an idea? Yeah. I mean, it could be just really basic things like, for example, there's long service leave in Australia and there's not in New Zealand. So there's an inequity there. So we're looking at rolling out long service leave within the business in New Zealand. One of the officers in Australia worked on a, where well, we work on a nine day fortnight. So we're looking at rolling that out across the business to see how that, that's going to work. And it, that's quite hard to do in consulting, especially in engineering where there's deadlines and often those deadlines are on a Friday. Yeah. So if you're having every second Friday off, for example, you've just got to be a little bit more organized as a, as a project manager, um, you know, and we haven't for this, for the, for the Perth business that trialed it, it's, it's gone really well. Um, there's a few teething issues to start with, but you know, we think that's got merit and we'd like to, to do that as a differentiator. So were those teething um, issues just around the deadlines that like you just mentioned or other things? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just getting people to think a little bit differently about delivery. Okay. And one day doesn't sound like much, but it creeps up on you and before you know it, you've got this deadline and and so, look, if people have to work on the Friday that they thought they were going to have off, then they take the Monday off. So you just got to be flexible and make sure that they get their breaks and enjoy it. So there's just a, you know, there's a few little things. We're, um, she's helping now with finding some recruiters for the business. Um, we're looking at some training modules for our office managers around people and culture. Yep. Um, and largely our managers are engineers, so they haven't had that training. So it's, again, it's this, you know, when you grow quickly, you you, these are some of the things that you've just got to backfill and, and one of them is, for us anyway, has been some of the training at a senior level and, and at the moment we're rolling out project management training, which is another big initiative in the business that's been really well received. So, yeah. yeah. So what is some of the feedback that you're getting from employees around this this person um, taking this role on full-time? Backfilling great. Yeah, uh, really, really positive. You get the right person, it's amazing how staff open up on all sorts of issues and her job is just to listen really a lot of the time people just want to talk and look it sounds you know it's not a it's not something that slows the business it's just a over the water fountain having a cup of tea whatever it is it's you know it doesn't slow production it's not it shouldn't be something that seems like oh my god we're you know we're going to go downhill if this person 
starts doing that in our business, well, you, you've got to manage it and you just work through it. So yeah, some people need more attention than others, and but it's all about making them feel comfortable so that you can retain them. You don't want them to leave because they haven't been heard or or whatever. So. Yeah, and I would imagine that having this this third party person, she would get more out of some employees than others than speaking maybe directly to you for arguments. Completely, yeah, completely. I mean, the conversations, unfortunately, I have often are just you know high level, superficial kind of things. Except for the people that I know well, and you know, I can talk about families and all the rest of it. But I, I, I suspect if I went up to one of the new employees. Uh, they won't be telling me about how, what they did in the weekend or, you know, the fact that their car needs to be fixed or the garage door won't open or, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. she can dig a little deeper and find out why they might be disgruntled or, yeah. or whatever. But. So how do you see this playing out in terms of, do you see you having to hire more people for the exact same role? There's people in college, because I mean, you got over 200 people. It's impossible for one person mm. to deal with everybody, like 200 people. How do you see this role playing out or developing? Yeah, look, as we grow, we will definitely need support. So yes, we, we're already thinking about having a full-time person in Australia. This person's based in, in New Zealand. Um, so, you know, she'll do a tour of Australia, get to know all the businesses, but ultimately I think we'll, we, will, we will need support for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really important. And I think being in our industry where everything is very numbers-driven, a position like this is sometimes hard to justify on the face of it, you know, because I'm not spending 85 grand, 100 grand on this wage and it's getting me X amount of return. But I think it's definitely an important role to fill because like you said, without people, whether it's in your field or whether it's boots on the ground, people are our business. Yeah, they are. And, you know, in this market as well, it's very, very difficult to find engineers. Look, it's almost impossible. So, Business is very aggressive and, and taking staff and, you know, there's the same pool of people just moving from place to place. So we've seen a massive movement in, in people from business to business and we've seen lots of people leave the industry, unfortunately. You know, they've had a whole step change in their life and, you know, some of our guys have gone on and opened up delis and different things that they've just moved away from the industry, which is really sad. But um, What do you think's driving that? Oh, look, I think, you know, you get locked up for so long, it's kind of you're sitting there thinking, what else can I do? Do I really love this profession or don't I? Or when people are busy and they just keep doing what they're doing, right? But when you have long periods of time to have a think about life, I think that's that's some of it. And often, you know, maybe they're thinking life's too short or, or whatever. I don't know. Different, mm. different motivations for different people. Yeah. So it's really important to know where your people are at with it all, checking in with them. Um, and it's all about retention. So Yeah, yeah. So do you think this people and culture person makes sense for just about any business at any size? Or do you think it's something that only certain businesses should do or Yeah, it depends on your on your appetite for overhead, I guess. And but if I'd had my time again, we'd probably get this person a lot sooner. If you could you imagine setting up, you know, one at one location and then moving to the other, if we had people and culture at that first location then it would have been very easy to replicate culture mm. from office to office to office but you know you set a certain culture at one one location you open up another office with very good people very enthusiastic great order book all the things that are that make a, a business vibrant and and happy and all the rest of it but those people are their own culture they may not necessarily be the same as the first business so mm. 
you want to take and and look you want to foster that you don't want to you don't want to dampen that but there are certain things that you want them to to employ if you like and um and it could be really basic things like making sure that you know on friday you stop for beers or you know we do a breakfast barbecue or we go out and you know there's an active social club and just little things it doesn't it doesn't need to be much but just so that you can stop drop the tools and just connect for a little while yeah um and if you've got somebody there that just concentrates on those things then that tends to happen yeah and like you said the little things the little things add up though over time don't they into big ones so this has all been good is there anything i haven't asked you that you think the audience might benefit from i think one thing as a consultancy I mean, the, the people obviously are the main driver. The other part of that equation is winning work. So having, having business development and people that can talk to your clients is a massive advantage in the market. So, you know, having recruiters, having BD people, that's sort of 80% of the consulting game almost. Um, as I alluded to before, we, we sort of work on this process of, of when you start at CMW, we try and teach you to be a consultant. So you might have some specialization or interest in a certain field, but then we also want you to be a consultant. And, and that means having the ability to win work, having the ability to deliver the work, and then having the ability to get feedback, collect the check, whatever it is you want to, want to say. But, you know, touching in with the client to say, how was that? Did you get what you needed? You know, is that all good? And ultimately, if you get a relationship going with that person, you get repeat work and, and on it goes. Again, uh, engineers don't get trained to do this, so we've spent a lot of time uh, with work-winning teams and different things just to help with that cycle and for people to become a little bit more commercially aware. And certainly, from a geotech perspective, you know we we look at risk um, differently to, to other engineers. So it's how we manage these risks. And if people are commercially minded, technically strong you've got a very well-rounded consultant that becomes fairly valuable for, for any project. So that's where we strive. So it sounds like you've got almost like a little mini MBA course within, um, <laughs> you know, within the like business. That. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And uh, people can take up as much of that or not as they like, but it, it really it is quite fundamental for how, to how we operate. So having some good BD people is, is key to, you know, is the key to the cycle, if you like. Yeah. We always like to end these episodes on a bit of a fun note, but um, what is a weird or interesting thing about yourself that most people don't know? Uh, well, I actually recently become an apiarist. So a what? Sorry? I've got a, a, I've got beehives. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I got into bees about uh, a year ago. Uh, I've got a, a thriving little community of bees, and uh, although I'm allergic to bee stings, um, <laughs> I've had some hor- I've had some horrific stings. I had one in my eye once that took probably a week to go down. That's like that's like someone um, going and buying a boat that can't swim. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, I really enjoy it though, and uh, you get a new appreciation for flowering plants and and trees. You know, trees and 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 flowers around the garden and all the rest of it. So it's quite quite amazing how they operate and how their little community operates. You can sit and watch them for hours. It's quite fascinating and. We're getting a lot of honey out of the hive, which is also really rewarding. And there's a sort of a symbiotic relationship there. I'm providing shelter and warmth and all the rest of it, and they're they're producing the honey. So 
So it's beautiful. So when the nectar starts flowing, it's a lot of fun. It's funny you mentioned that. I was actually looking into to doing exactly the same thing probably six or eight months ago because my grandmother always has bees at her place and she can never get rid of them. So I thought, oh, well, maybe. Yeah. And I, did you, have you looked into those flow hives? That's exactly what I've got. Oh, okay. So how is that? I know this is getting a bit off topic. Oh, very good. Yeah. Look, it's clean and it's easy. The purists probably hate it. But if you're just a beginner, beginner and you're learning about bee colonies and, and how they produce and all the rest of it, then it's wonderful. You can look at all the frames and you learn what's going on in the frames. And obviously with the flow hive part of the beehive setup, it's easy to extract honey. So you don't have to spin honey and it's not messy and... So it's pretty yeah. pretty good. Well, that's awesome. Where can everybody just get in touch with you, learn a little bit more, or maybe try and get hold of you for a chinwag about bees? <laughs> well, we've obviously got a website, so um, cmwgeosciences.com, and uh, links to our LinkedIn page are on that. So, yeah, anytime. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and it would be greatly appreciated if you could leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to learn more about employer branding and recruitment marketing strategy, feel free to visit our website at moonshotmedia.com.au or reach out to me directly at jaskinner at moonshotmedia.com.au. Thanks again for listening and I'll speak to you in the next episode of Crushing It in Construction.